Hello and welcome to episode 139 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. It's a new voice coming at you this week. My name is Dave Harbarger here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Cleveland, Ohio, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Shane. It's me. I'm from. I'm in here from Cleveland. I also forgot my good microphone. I, I, you know, I really couldn't have fit it in my bag. Traveling for some family stuff and using a not as great headset, but I'm glad to be here with you, Dave. Yeah, it's our first episode together in three weeks, right? Oh man, you're right. Yeah. How how have you? How's the new house, my friend? We're living amongst boxes. I'm in a very special kind of IKEA hell right now. That's that's the only <laughs> way I will describe it. <clears throat> it's a lot of Allen wrenching going on. IKEA hell is one of my favorite lines. They have the you know H with like the yeah the E umlaut. Yeah, they're potholders. The it's funny. <laughs> IKEA hell is my favorite pavement song too. Um, so you know. It's our first episode back with with mostly the team. As you all know, Stan still out at this point right now, but in his place this week, you know him, you love him. We have Everett Mohan, aka Aspiring Spike. How you doing, Everett? Filling Stan's big backpacks. Yeah, it feels really good to be back. Yeah, I feel like it's been forever, man. Yeah, it's, it's only been like two months, but it feels like a lot longer because it's been a really action-packed two months, you know? Yeah, it's we've. I think you know we've definitely wanted to find the time to to get you on you know post Modern Horizons too. But you you had you had the good sense to take on being on Channel Fireball, take on this trophy race, take on the full time streaming, and and you know there's there's not a lot of time left for the bigger shoes of the dive down guest spot. You know, Everett's got three full time jobs right now, so. On this episode, we're going to do maybe a little bit of a grab bag. We're going to have some takes, some dives, maybe even some listener questions. We're going to start with some discussion reactions to the Magic 2022 product roadmap announcement. I know everybody had a lot of fun with that stream and even more fun on Twitter afterwards. We have some thoughts we'd love to share. Uh, after that, we're going to talk with Everett about his recent run at the Hunter Burton Memorial Open uh, and specifically talk about the Dress Down Death Shadow deck that he piloted to a top eight there. Um, and after that, we'll do a little bit of listener questions, as I mentioned. Uh, but now that we're getting back in the swing of things over here at the Dive Down, before we really get into it, it's time for a little housekeeping. Thank you to new patrons Ryan N. and Jeff H. Thank you so much for joining the Dive Down Nation. I hope that you're having fun in the definitively discreet Dive Down Discord. Uh, just a reminder, we migrated from Slack over to Discord a few months ago, and we are loving it, especially the impromptu streams that we uh, we and some of the patrons are doing inside of the uh, Discord itself. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot lower fi than just doing a Twitch, but um, really enjoying that aspect of it. Oh, yeah, for sure. The Discord's been great. Uh, it's it's kind of like a rejuvenated energy. You know, there's some people who just never wanted to get around to coming into Slack. It's just another piece of software they have to have on their computer. I think Discord is is something that a lot of people have been into, and it's been nice to have the community get a, a new you know bump in both animated GIFs and stickers and streams, like you mentioned, Dave. So if you're interested in joining the Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash thedivedown, uh, all one word. A uh, buck a week is all you need to uh, to join up. And more gets you different kind of swag and other kind of benefits. So if you want to help keep us going, we appreciate it. 
patreon.com slash the dive down. Yeah. And just mentioning on the Patreon kind of angle while we're still talking about it. Now that I'm back online functional with my own stuff in a new house, I am ready to start looking seriously at the deck boxes, getting those into to production. And Shane and I have a couple of ideas for even more swag to expand out. So I think there'll be some other fun things to, to share with people coming up soon. Um, so yeah, check us out at Patreon if you want to. And if you'd like to support us when you're playing Magic the Gathering, especially Magic the Gathering online, go and check out manatraders.com and use code thedivedown2021 to get 15% off your first two months of Magic Rentals. And honestly, when we got Spike here, so let's just give Spike a promo and head on over to his stream, twitch.tv slash aspiring spike, all one word. And let me tell you what, you should just, just sub, just sub to him. He's, he's the best, he's, you know, the, the best early day modern streamer. I'm not going to take anything away from, from Fran or the rest of our friends who do the afternoon streams. Everett is the, the best, the best daytime streamer. Well, Nassif streams daytime too. I feel like it's. He's the best modern daytime streamer. If they were doing a Hall of Fame ever, come on. You and Nassif, you, you, you'd have all the credentials. Don't worry, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> There's like nobody on Twitch. I look more uh, more up to you than Nassif. Oh, he's, yeah, he yeah, is yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's one, yeah. one of the best five players of all time, right? Yeah, yeah easily. I mean, and then Everett's sixth. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Way I mean, look, lower than that. I'm, I'm so. Nassif is one of the. Actually, all of those kind of old school Hall of Fame people mm-hmm. are people that I'm like would they come on the show sometime? And then I'm like, I don't know if they would, you know what they would think, but maybe, Hey, well, I'll, I'll say that Nassif of like all the big hall of fame guys, like nobody seems to be more engaged with the community than he is. Like he gave me a big raid when I was first starting streaming and he's like always super, super friendly with tons of people. So I feel like if he, you would have a good chance uh, getting him on the podcast, do you think? Maybe we'll try it out. Yeah. So this week, you know, we, like I mentioned for our, our intro segment here, we wanted to talk a little bit about the Wizards 2022 product roadmap announcement. We know this is a little old. We're going to be a week behind the time on this particular discussion, but Shane and I had some good chats about many different aspects of this pack to the gills product announcement that they had. Um, and I was curious about a couple specific things with, with you two, Everett. So I, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of hop in there. I'm going to give a real top line, kind of like this is what's going on and what's coming up in case you missed it and just to give some context for our discussion, but we're not going to get super deep on the facts. First thing to talk about, the mainline sets for the rest of 2021 and 2022 the first two sets that are coming up, we knew that these ones were coming up. Two return to Innistrad sets for for uh, the next two sets coming up. A classic and I think mostly well-loved plane from, for people like thematically and also for some of the mechanics that both Innistrad sets had. Um, how do we feel about going back just kind of in general? Ever, what do you think about these kind of like rehash sets? Do you have any strong feelings about the themes or nostalgia for that type of stuff? Well, I really like the original Innistrad. I started playing in Return to Ravnica, so I wasn't really around for the release of the original Innistrad, but the standard that I learned magic with and came to love magic with was definitely defined by the Innistrad block. And I really don't think that they did a good job with Shadows over Innistrad because they they, they just had Return to Zendikar that was yeah. dominated by Eldrazi. And that was an- another criti- criticism of the Zendikar block. They returned to Zendikar and it's all focused on Eldrazi instead of the cool elements of Zendikar. 
and then they return to Innistrad, and it's kind of the same thing. It's just like so focused on the Eldrazi instead. And the Eldrazi are really cool, but you have them for two sets in a row, and people are excited to return to Innistrad. And you had a lot of good elements, but it wasn't um, what I was hoping for. So I hope they do a better job this time. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. I I totally agree with what you said there. Like in my memory, that's kind of like eighteen months of gray magic. It was like everything was about like getting corrupted and turning into the Eldrazi, and all the mechanics had to work in one form or another with Eldrazi. I definitely felt that at the time, and it was f- at least four sets in a row, right? Because there were two Zendikar sets and two Innistrad sets at that time, too. So. Agree. I hope they get back to something that's more like, hey, enjoy this unique setting. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I felt like too, Everett, is like I had come back to Magic after what, 19 years, and I came back to Cons, mm-hmm. right? And then like 2014. Cons was great. Cons was yeah. so good. Classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah Cons, Cons was a great set to come back to. And then pretty soon after, what, like 2016, like Shadows was, announced, like Shadows was coming out, and I was like, oh man, I had heard so much about Innistrad. And I was, and I heard so much about the limited set and the kind of the flavor mechanics and like, and everyone was pretty hyped. And then it was like, well, what, 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 what's this Eldrazi stuff? Like, yeah. why, why did, why did it sort of, it sort of fell on its face and like, and it, it did feel like it was sort of a lot of build up to something that not a lot of people were really asking for. But I think that, you know, we got a lot of cool cards out of uh, Shadows and Shadows Block. There's some unique elements and unique flavor. And I, I know that Morrow especially seems to love Innistrad so much as a as like a playground and an environment and a plane to build in. So I, I always have hope in terms of theme and in terms of you know that kind of stuff. I will say, I think as far as mechanics go, there is one thing that I thought would be fun to talk about for a minute or at least just point out to all of us and that is i'm really shocked that they're going to have flashback in a standard legal set and we've already seen a card that has that so i'm super hopeful that we're going to have some good one two three modern level cards potentially modern level cards just because flashback is so powerful what do you think about that Everett? i think that'd be really cool i mean flashback i've talked about this a lot on this podcast that Wizards really likes mechanics over the last couple of years that reduce the variance that exists for the Mana Flood specifically. It's really hard to print mechanics that fight Mana Screw, but if you fight lots of like extra resources with your mana through uh, through Adventure, a, f- a few more big ones over the recent, a Companion is a, is a really big mechanic that just gives you extra things to do with your mana. They they love that because they, they I think, really want to mitigate the non-games that you can have in Magic sometimes, which I think is very good design. And Flashback is wonderful at, you know, kind of just making sure you always have something to do with your mana, even if it's not that impactful. Yeah. I mean, and then the, the other part about Flashback, of course, is just that, you know, it makes you have synergies with, you know, graveyard-style decks where you get that extra card draw off of self-mill and kind of all the different angles that you can work flashback cards for an advantage in different shells. And it's just exciting and powerful. I do imagine that they'll probably do some kind of twist on it. Like, I don't know if they'll be like, we did a cycle of flashback cards and they're all, you know, different colors instead. You know, the the uh, main cast and the flashback are different or something like that. So we'll see what happens. But Yeah, I feel like flashback is one of those mechanics that Dave, Stan, Everett, you all are, these are the colors that you like, the kinds of spells that you like. Uh, I think it'll be a playground <laughs> that you guys will enjoy <laughs> fooling around in. I mean, I'm not anti-flashback. I think it's, like you said, Everett, I think one of the best things about 
contemporary magic design is giving players optionality at different mana costs and flashback allows that where it's like it could be cheaper going into the graveyard and then more expensive coming back out it could be vice versa where you can take advantage of like that thought scour effect and then cast it back out for like a cheaper effect for something else and so that's always good and that's always fun yeah all right the rest of the mainline sets that they announced this last time i mostly wanted to talk about them because the flavor is really interesting of all these different sets to me. So we're going to return to Kamigawa um, in a set, for a set called Kamigawa Neon Destiny. But the art direction, everything looks like it's more kind of cyberpunk than it is any kind of high fantasy or a time period that you sort of associate with magic. And then the next one, the next set after that is called Streets of New Capenna, which is supposed to be a like crime lord based set. Like yeah. this is some wild stuff, right? It's it's pretty wild. Like I think the Kamigawa Neon Dynasty one, like I don't know how this is another one of those things where I feel like people were just sort of waiting for this. Like they were like, Oh yeah, Kamigawa's gonna happen and it's gonna be a cyberpunk theme. It's gonna be a future ninja theme. And then like it was. Like so I don't know <laughs> if if that was like hand in hand with like a little bit of like, you know, leaked domain registry type stuff or people just sort of called it. But I just I think it's cool. Like Kamigawa to me, and I don't know about you two, like Dave, were you even playing this was what during, during this was during my hiatus. Yeah. Yeah. And I think ever you said you came back after Kamigawa too. Uh, I, I started to return to Ravnica, so it was before my time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like to me, Kamigawa is just one of those modern era sets where it's like not a lot of stuff is getting played. Like like Kamigawa doesn't have a big sort of thematic impact on my experience in magic. I'm lava spike. Yeah, I feel like it has a lot of iconic cards though. Despite, despite not having you know a, Yeah. It's it's so weird because I actually when I think of Kamigawa I think of a lot of really 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 fascinating cards that are super cool to me like Arayo and Sinsei's Defining Top and Umazawa's Jitte yeah. and like the legendary the legendary lands that it have an upside like Minamo and then like there's all these weird legendaries I remember like I opened like a random like random box of cards one time and there was just there's just it was like the master of the flying and when you when you gave him flying he flipped and he gave all your guys flying and he was the coolest just the coolest ever i just loved all the flip cards and i i really like kamigawa and i also am i wasn't a big fan of the cyberpunk genre but i really like the cyberpunk video game that came out and so i mean this feels like per, I, this is the set i'm most excited for i feel like the combination of like all the spirits and the ninjas and Kamigawa uh, and all like the deities that exist there infused with the civilization that's advanced is more futuristic, has a lot of potential to be very cool and very interesting. I think at very least it's going to be very different stylistically yeah. than most, than a lot of magic sets. And I, I actually feel like that's one of the main takeaways that I had from this whole announcement and the previews that they shared was like, they're pushing the boundaries of the, the style of magic, which I think is cool. I think that, I think that magic has to evolve to to thrive, you know, it can definitely do the same thing. It always does. And have to go to the same planes over and over again and have the same safe style. That's how you end up with a thousand, you know, Ikoras and, you know, a thousand swords to get equipped. Yeah. Hour of devastations, like the sets that just kind of, I feel like to me fall, fall flat and are like really safe choices. And I like the more, exciting choices like uh cyberpunk kamigawa although the streets of the the gangster demon thing i feel like that's gonna be a hard one to execute well yeah that's gonna be that's a risky one i mean it's it's i'm worried about it because for a few reasons one it's a it's a it's a three color set right Mm -hmm. 
And uh, note that it is the other tr- the, uh, the the what shards. Is this? The oh, shards. Oh, oh, we get the triumphs, right? We're gonna get the triumphs. That's here. what everybody's thinking. This, this is this is my fear. I think okay, ever. I just want. What are your what are your general thoughts on the triumphs in terms? Not in terms of just like, do you like playing with them? But what do you think about their effect on the format? Mm, if we're talking about modern specifically, I think that they are fascinating in the terms of like what is possible with mana bases where it really has kind of exploded you know, options and things have become really interesting deck building with triumphs. Uh, I haven't really been able to digest the implications of the full 10 triumphs being in the set. I know that I have also know that I've been starved for a Bant triumph and a Jun triumph. Sure. Do they feel like I, risky cards to you? To I exist? Have do you feel like they knock down too many walls, or do you think they're kind of okay? I mean, it's it's funny because they're one ofs mostly in decks, you know. So it's yeah, like well, they're they're t- they're not they're actually ten ofs because you just get to tutor them up. Oh right, you know? right, yeah, yeah. It's just, that, well, that's <laughs> why, right? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Fetchlands. I think at this point we have to accept that Fetchlands define modern. Right. That they'll probably never be banned, and they will just be the best cards in the format for the whole time. And it, it, I do think it is a concern when you print cards that are good with Fetchlands, because a lot of times they end up having to be banned. Like Fields of the Dead, Uro, Mystic Sanctuary are pretty recent examples of cards that, in, I, I think, in my opinion, maybe Fields of the Dead would still be banned, but I don't think Uro or Mystic Sanctuary would be banned without Fetchlands. Absolutely not. Yeah. And and I, I just making Fetchlands better, I think, is inevitable though like the the car like they they work with so many things that it's 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 not really possible for wizards to constantly design around them and i think it's just kind of inevitable to get the other triumphs in the format i'm excited to play with them i don't think it's good i mean man is in modern is already really really good right um yeah how much of a stumbling block is it for them to not be there really anyway but and, and I, it is true that you know Blood Moon is very good against the Triumphs, and if mana gets too greedy, that is somewhat of a safety valve for just perfect, uh, perfect mana in modern. How 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 long can we lean on the on the crutch of Blood Moon to save us from the powerful mana that exists in modern? <laughs> no, don't suggest Wasteland. Please don't suggest Wasteland. <laughs> no, I would, that would never. Yeah. I would never. We're, I don't we don't know. want to take the discussion Alpine that Moon, way. You're playing you're playing the Alpine Moon lately, though. Yeah, yeah I mean that card is really really good right now. Yeah. Yes. We'll talk more about that in a little bit for sure. All right. Last two sets coming up in 2022 for the mainline magic sets, at least are Dominaria United and Brothers War. Of course, we don't know much about this, but going back to Dominaria, I think is always fun. Although I'm wondering how resonant it is for newer players at this point, as opposed to old, old people like me, Um, especially the Brothers War kind of idea. Like it'll be interesting to see them do a set thematically around Brothers War when really antiquities was kind of telling the story of that already, even though it was sort of through this ancient history lens. And I'm Mm -hmm. assuming that this one will be more like it's actually happening during the set or whatever, but um, seems cool. Always curious about these sets that feel like they're going to be artifact sets like brothers where you kind of assume it's going to be an artifact set that you're going to, we're going to end up with some broken cards because they're going to push some mechanics, you know, happened in Kaladesh happened with Mirrodin, you know, there are antiquities cards that of course show like how powerful artifacts can be as well. So that'll be interesting. Dave, as our resident Vorthos head, uh, (laughs) who are the brothers? Oh, Urza and Mishra. Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. Thank thank you for, for telling everyone else that, of course I knew that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, my general thought on Dominaria is that it's definitely going to be like a safe space after like the perhaps more experimental, the Kamigawa and the Crime Family so, one. Sopranos like of Magic. 
Yeah. Yeah. Come back home to Dominaria where we know, like, you know, we have what, uh, Teferi's and Jace's and, you know, whoever. Right. Who's, is, is Teferi in Dominaria? Teferi is Dominaria. Jace is, is somewhere else. Teferi's like the main character. Yeah. I cast so many Teferi fives, you know, I, uh, he's my favorite card. My favorite planeswalker. Yeah, you cast a lot of blue-white planeswalkers. Absolutely, that cost five mana. Yeah, or three. Uh, that one, yeah, that one costs three mana. <laughs> no, that's time raveler. No, 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 no. You, you get two mana back when you hear of that. Oh mana. yes, you're yeah. right. Yes, 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 yes. All right. So sounds fun. We found out which one Everett's looking forward to the most already, uh, which is awesome to hear. I think I'm probably out of those ones the most curious about Innistrad when it really comes to it. And hey, that's great because we're going to start getting spoilers for that like literally tomorrow. I think. I think they're starting to come this week. The early spoilers we didn't really have time to talk about or really need to, but like the early cards were pretty good. Like just just the stuff they spoiled already from Innistrad. There's like five cards and I thought, you know, the they look like there could be some strength already. So, here's hoping. Just tune in the next couple of weeks as spoilers come out cuz you know we'll be doing spoiler coverage for modern and other formats. Uh, there's also two reprint-esque sets coming up, Double Masters and a new Jumpstart set. Hey, I guess Wizards loves Jumpstart as a brand because now we got a historic Jumpstart. We got the last year's Jumpstart. Now we're going to have another one next year. I've literally never played the Jumpstart format the way you're supposed to, but uh, some of those packs are fun to open sometimes to pull, like, you know, Ristic Study and stuff like that out of that. Yeah, Davis, the way you've played this format by opening up the things to try to get money cards? Yeah, exactly. When I'm at Target, I'll just be like, oh, there's a four-pack. I'll buy one and see if I can get an Allosaurus Shepherd. Kind of go from there. <laughs> but Shane, you, I mean, I'm, you, I'm here for Double Masters for sure. Yeah. I've, I gotta feel like they're running out of like cards to print in these reprint sets, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you'd we'll be see. surprised. You you know, you look at you look at stuff and you're like, oh, Liliana is a hundred bucks again. You know what I mean? Like they they could just it's just a, a great way for them to cash in some reprint equity. I'm I'm here for the reprints. Like if you look at the last double masters, there, we ended up with so many, yeah. so many cards that like dropped down to like five bucks. Even you got your you know stock up on your engineered explosives, stock up on your Mishra's bobble, stock up on your swords of fire and ice and stuff like that. It's just like you look at the set list and you're like, oh yeah, that was in that, that was in that, that was in that. And these are cards that are like fifty, sixty bucks again, you know, due to EDH pressure, due to modern pressure. So yeah, just print away, my friends. Like you don't have to worry as much about the limited environment in these, I think, as they do in like the modern Horizon sets. So it's just kind of reprint equity of the set. All right. Next part of the announcement I wanted to talk about was the one that was the most surprising to me personally, and that was the fact that they are going to be printing some Pioneer event decks, I guess, or Challenger decks, are they calling them these days? But the lists are actually really good. So it's a mostly built, there's four decks, a mostly built Azorius Spirits, Orzov Auras, Mono Red, Burn, and Lotus Field combo decks that you can go to the store and buy in paper to have a pretty much finished tournament level Pioneer deck ready to go. So don't really care what these decks actually are, to be honest, but the biggest thing for me with this was more like a record scratch of, oh, oh, oh now we're supporting Pioneer. And it's back. And I'm super curious, Everett, to hear what you think about that, because I know that Pioneer captured your heart for a little bit, and then you kind of went back to modern. Is this piquing your interest as far as thinking um, that maybe we could dip some toes into Pioneer again, or what do you think? Well, I mean, this announcement is 100%, in my opinion, Wizards testing the water and seeing if players are still interested in Pioneer. 
and they're going to be looking at and, and to see how does this is does this product sell are people going to play pioneer are they going to play pioneer at the lgs so if you love pioneer you should probably buy one of these intro decks they seem like they're great value they've really they really put a lot of effort into them um I mean, but these these decks don't interest me personally because I'm someone that's interested in interesting formats, and I I haven't been very involved in Pioneer because Modern's been so good and it's it's focused so yeah, much. Yeah, that's the my, problem, right? Yeah, mo- Modern is just so good. Every time I've played Pioneer, it hasn't felt as good. And I I do watch some uh, some Pioneer uh, streams and I I do watch some Pioneer content and it seems very fine. But it kind of feels like what standard should be, at least in like the environments, you know, and like the kind of the, the relative power level. And I feel like for me, like one you said, Everett, is like, you know, we're originally a modern podcast, right? And it, it modern with the infusion of Modern Horizons 2 and just the general, I think, pretty good cultivation of the format by Wizards. Modern is in a great spot. It's continually interesting and you know, all that kind of stuff that keeps us focused on it, right? And we'll talk about that in a little bit, I'm sure. And and Pioneer has, like you said, sort of felt like the same decks that I've been hearing about are still there, right? There's like there's a Sacrifice type deck, there's a Spirits type deck, Phoenix is still ruling the roost, all that kind of stuff. And when I and modern even modern black ag, excuse me, mono black aggro is still there and succeeding and it's like well mono, i was playing mono black aggro two years ago when when pioneer was like announced and so like this is this format really not having that much turnover at all well i, I think i think the lack of like decks changing is the lack of people playing and the lack of people trying to innovate. yes yes like i really do think that you know there there is room for innovation i don't know we'll, we'll just kind of see how players become interested in it like it honestly like if it's a fun and interesting format i'll try it and if it's not i won't you know yeah, totally. That's really what it boils down to. Here's the big thing for me with this is that, so, you know, like six months ago, we were all, su- or eight months ago, I guess now, towards the end of last year, we were all super hyped on the yeah. show about Historic, right? Where I like got into Historic pretty hard, was having a good time, was feeling kind of like what I wanted Pioneer to feel like when Pioneer was still basically combo cards you know what i mean i i might my timelines might be a little bit off there but you know historic was kind of picking up the slack for that somewhat less powerful less rotating format that i was hoped that pioneer would be and now historic is like bonkers honestly like i mean it's just like oh we printed half of modern horizons 2 into it there's a bunch of modern horizons 1 cards in it now there's these digital only cards in it and like historic has very suddenly and shockingly ceased being kind of what I wanted it to be. So now I'm kind of like, Hey pioneer, like maybe, maybe you can be what I was hoping this middle format would be again. And that the main, that was the main reason that this piqued my interest is because, Oh, maybe now wizards also wants to put some support into it where it kind of felt like they had left it for dead for a while there. And I think importantly, even if we don't, even if it's not what we need it to be like, you know, if we're, we, we play what we want, right? Like we're going to play what we think is fun and what captures us. And maybe that's modern for now. But I think a lot of people have sort of felt that modern has become something that they don't like as much. And I think that Pioneer can hopefully be the format that they want it to be. And I think that that's what's great about Magic is there's so many different ways to play it. 
And so if I think one of the reasons and one of the things that would make Pioneer more interesting is, like you said, Everett, is people coming back to it, people experimenting with it, people pushing it in new directions and stress testing the established norms and seeing what can come out of that. And I think that it's sort of a a self-fulfilling prophecy if people are just keeping doing what they're doing and they're like, well, no one's playing it, so I'm not going to play it. And the more that wizards can hopefully in the coming year as they increase their concepts of what local tournaments look like and pushing local events and getting sort of championships and they can push the format any way they want. They can be like, you need, you know, we're going to have a pioneer tournament. We're going to run this pioneer event and it's going to be only pioneer. And so that's going to bring eyes back on it. And so I'm hoping that the, these decks, these challenger decks are a part of that. All right. Next thing. They announced a whole bunch of secret layers stuff. I think we're going to skip over that for now, other than to just say that the old border planeswalkers drop looks pretty sweet. I would, oh man, I would amazing. love to pick those up. Like, love the nostalgia. I love the the art and the the fact that it's written like it's from Legends. I think it's very funny. Yeah, like the worst and best thing ever. Like, just like the templating is is so bad yet so good. I mean, it just reminds me of like when I tried to read Ice Cauldron when I was a teenager, or Chains of Mephistopheles, and was like. Now, what does this do? Like, impossible to parse on your own. Dave, Dave, I do have to say though, did you catch? Did you catch the joke about on the the Mathis for blockers one? I did not. Honestly, that one totally confused me, especially because I'm like, why would anybody want meandering tower meandering shell, tower shell. <laughs> in a in a secret layer for some reason? Well, it's it's pie. I, pi- it's pi- it's, <laughs> I love you, meandering tower shell. You I'm do a big fan, yeah. Everett, I have like eight of them. That I will I will mail you sometime. Maybe I, I'll just carry I have them. like eight of them too. Do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I can't believe how many times I opened that card in in cons yeah. draft. I did a lot of cons draft in paper, and it was just like every time I'm like, maybe I'm gonna fetch land and like make up make this draft like no tower positive shell. EV. Nah, tower shell. Yeah. Oh no, you know no, it's, people it's, people get attached to cards in Magic. You know, be, it's true. Be, you know, even the lower power level cards are really cool. Meandering Tower Shell is so goofy. And it is. It's so <laughs> it's it's honestly a very iconic card, and I feel like it's great for a secret layer. I love it. That's funny. Yeah. The thing that I I wanted to talk about, which I think was kind of like uh, we you know we hinted at this a little bit earlier, is the universes beyond. Uh, oh, we haven't got to that, that we yet. Had. Wow, what a breakdown we've got going on. Yeah, here. and this is yeah, I'm trying to get through it quickly without going you know too far. This is us taking a very skilled player down some real casual discussion routes right now, but the, this, this is the best use of your skills. <laughs> exactly. Tell us Talk what you think about the roadmap. flavor. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> universe is beyond. So the thing with this is like, wow, you know, they've been experimenting with this beyond magic IP stuff in magic for a couple of years, right? They made some, my little pony cards. They made some transformer cards. Godzilla skins are in Ikoria there's a few other things that are kind of like this. Um, you know, of course we have the walking dead secret layer reactions to all these things have been all over the place. The entire time it's happening, but suddenly in this announcement, we are getting, getting many different IPs all at once. So just as a recap, we're getting commander decks that are Warhammer 40 K themed. We're getting a commander set from D and D I IP Baldur's gate IP. We're getting two secret layers that are Fortnite themed. I don't know exactly what that's going to mean, but they're but that's what they are. And then uh, we're going to have a secret layer that's Street Fighter themed, which was the one that was the most kind of like whoa, what to me. And then finally, we're going to have a modern legal Lord of the Rings full 
set in 2023. So they gave us massive amounts of heads up here that they're going to print a set where Gandalf is going to be modern legal for whatever that means. So this idea of them pushing the magic framework, let's say, outside of the magic kind of story zone is getting huge suddenly. And it, it really kind of blew up discussions on Twitter and disc and our discord and a whole bunch of other places. And, um, you know, I guess I'd l- love to hear what you all all think about this, like ever, what do you think about all these different kind of IPs coming into the magic space? Well, I, I don't have super strong opinions on these because they're all, we haven't seen the cards for these sets yet. Right. And we can. I, I have some feelings, but really, my judgment is going to be: Are these well-designed cards? Are they flavorful? Are they cool? Are they going to be fun? And if the, if so, I'm going to like them. I don't really care that much necessarily where they come from. That being said, I do also like where they've chosen to put these IPs. As far as you know, I think Commander is great for 40k. There, like you have so much. And I, I'm not super duper familiar, but I know that there's a lot of like identification with the different factions in 40k. And there's going to be, I feel like, so much overlap with existing commander strategies. 40k gets really goofy, and and so, and commander can be very like big and wild and wacky. And I think that that is a great spot for it. I think that something like Fortnite, something like Street Fighter, these have to just be secret lair products where people who like these will buy them and they'll really like them and they won't be for most players, just like most secret lairs. I don't have strong opinions on these. Uh, but, I, but as far as the Lord of the Rings one, the biggest set, the one that is going to actually impact modern, the format I play, there is no other series, there's no other IP that I would be as comfortable with going into magic as Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings has, you know, is one of the few stories that has a deeper and richer history than magic does. There's so much, it's universally loved and it's, it's something I'm personally excited for. I really like Lord of the Rings and, and I don't think that that's on accident. I don't think that, you know, that's, it's not like they just kind of randomly chose that one to go to modern and then Fortnite could have, could have somehow been like their big set. Modern Horizons three Fortnite edition. Yeah. I think they did. (laughs) I think they did a good job managing where these products need to go. That being said, we haven't seen the cards. That's going to be a whole other judgment, but I I think people are jumping to a lot of conclusions specifically on the, the, the Lord of the Rings one. Like a lot of people are like, well, that's just going to be modern horizons. And it's going to be a whole set that like is massive, has massive upheaval. And my gut on it, just if I was someone who was thinking about that product is that I wouldn't make a product with the complexity of modern horizons with the Lord of the Rings IP, because I imagine what you're, what you really want is to capture people who are really interested in Lord of the Rings and make them into magic players. You're not trying to like make, magic cards for magic players that just happen to be Lord of the Rings themed. Yeah, of course. And that's what all of these products are trying to do is make Magic the Gathering more mainstream. And uh, of course, like it's a very corporate way to do it. Of course, you can criticize that, but it's always been in my interest for Magic to be more mainstream than it is. You know, I've I've said there's tons to be critical of Arena. I, I have a lot of criticisms about Arena, but the best thing it's done for Magic is brought a lot of people who would otherwise never have played the game to the game. I think I think that that's great. Yeah. I mean, I work in an office now instead of remotely, and one of the 
the first things that like even when i was introduced to the company like the the vp was like yeah shane has a, a podcast about magic the gathering um because it got brought up in my interview and stuff like that and and people know i do it and they're like well what's your podcast on again and like well magic the gathering it's like this card game it's been around for like nearly 30 years and they're like well oh, oh i don't really know that or oh i maybe heard of that and like if i said i did a podcast on Fortnite, 90 percent of the office would know what that is you know what I mean? Like it's a lot different. And even though we think magic is mainstream and even though, you know, there's tens of millions of people who supposedly play it uh, pretty regularly, it's definitely not mainstream. And so I do agree ever that the more people playing the game, the better, but I, I do want to, I do want to revisit like your, your statement about your comfort with Lord of the Rings and because of its rich history and lore, how that's kind of, a, a good thing for you. And I, I don't disagree with that. Like, I don't disagree that I think it, Lord of the Rings and magic would, you know, go like peanut butter and chocolate. But I, I do have a concern that the lore might overpower the, the game. And I don't, it's not like the fairest way to say that, but one of the things that I was talking to Dave about last week and was this, this, this concept that magic has always had like this wall around it of its own lore. Like and, and whether or not the quality of that has been consistent, you know, that's probably you know, it's not really that consistent, right? There's been planes that have I think have been pretty cool and planes that have really, you know, pooped the bed. And I think I mean that, there's there's fifteen years of just like the wildest, most inscrutable B level fantasy novels as lore. Yes. Like I mean, and they're cool, like they're weird in their own way. But if you really look at like the stories that they were trying to tell them, like Torment and Invasion and all those blocks, like the yeah. the top level of those stories all make sense. But then you get into the individual cartoon, like and who did this and what did Phage yeah. do and why and like all <laughs> like those those things are pretty wild. Um, and I, yeah. I I think that maybe where Shane is going is I kind of said that. In bringing magic to, to pop more popular culture right now, they're kind of putting forward the thing that is the real genius in magic, and that's the it's the best card design game that there is. Honestly, it's the best design system that there is. I mean, you look at a lot of these IPs that they have. All like, I don't remember if there was a, a Warhammer or 40k themed card game back in the 90s when all this when all the trading card game hype started but lord of the rings had its own card game at least once there might have been two different ones that they tried to yeah, do an lcg yeah yeah and like i think that a lot of this is like a recognition that the system that they've designed and the the production that they managed to do over the last 30 years and you know richard garfield and team's original idea that's a thing that doesn't need to be walled off like you can play with the stories that you like as part of it and still have a really great game and i i think that that's what's really going on here and that's the part that excites me too now i don't know what the ramifications that'll be long term but like it's one of the best designed things that has ever been made i think certainly inside gaming so oh yeah i mean my, my only concern is that like this is a modern set so like formerly you could just be like i'm fine with this existing and but it doesn't have to impact like quote unquote my game or the format that I play. And this is the time when now it will. And ultimately I will think I do think it's gonna be fine. It's one of those things where it's like I think well, I can be like, well, I don't wanna sit across from Frodo. I don't wanna have a Gandalf the Grey cast against me. How about Gandalf and, the White? Is that what okay? it <laughs> two weeks two weeks and everyone's gonna be like, okay, fine, whatever. Like yeah. it's 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 the best game. We're all going to love this game. We're going to keep playing this game in this in these formats that we love, 
and let's just make the tent bigger is is fine for sure and i we can't judge a set that we haven't seen i really like they absolutely could make it goofy and they could make it corny and they could make it like really clash i don't think that they're going to do that i think that they've done a really good job with like the production quality and the presentation presentation of cards lately but it's also true like the premise of the magic lore is that we have a multiverse so we have infinite combinations of universes why is it so wild that like traveling between universes you can't go to the lord of the rings universe it's true i feel like especially with lord of the rings is also a fantasy although like maybe a lower concept than than magic typically is i i I feel like with specifically lord of the rings i feel like it's just like a a good fit now if they have Fortnite, all of a sudden you know jace jace bellerin okay well i i I would that would be kind of cool if jace is like actually in the Fortnite game and he's like flossing (laughs) and stuff yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> my nephew will like it. Yeah. Can I give you my called shot on the Lord of the Rings set? Sure. A year and a half out. I think it's going to be more like a core set than it's going to be mm. like a Modern Horizon set. I'm, I think it's, if there's a, a in power level, yeah. like I think in complexity, I think if you imagine like what, so in my mind, there that means that there might be three or four cards that have the right rate to make any splash in, in any kind of eternal format. Like it makes me think a little bit about like conspiracy is sort of what I imagine the set might be where it's like, there were a couple cards in conspiracy and one, of course, very notable mechanic that made a splash in legacy. But like, you know, it, it wasn't 80% of the cards like it happens with modern horizons where it's like every single card you see in modern horizons, you're like, there's some deck that could use this card eventually. And, oh, I can't believe they put Surveil and Delirium on the same card. Like, that's not going to happen in in a Lord of the Rings set that I think is about bringing people into the game. You're going to have a 1-1 halfling that's, or not halfling, a hobbit that's a 1-2 that makes a food token. Like, that's going to be it. You know, it's oh, going to be... Gonna be a- one mana, three one with dash yeah. for two. That makes a treasure token. Yeah, when it when it connects, it no. When it connects, it makes an elven bread token. Mm. Yeah, that can give you three life or one mana. Right. Okay. I've got a, I've got a called shot for the Lord of the Rings set. Okay. I think that they are going to use a lot of flavor outside of the Hollywood movies. They're going to use a lot of the expanded lore from the simulacrum a lot of the lore that the mainstream media isn't quite familiar with as well as like a lot of the mainstream stuff too and that way it's not going to be such a jarring hollywood trilogy insert i think there's a lot of deep rich history that people aren't familiar with and they're going to like in the set that's at least what i would do yeah that's I I, i think that's something stan pointed out too when he was popping in he was like look the art does not this is not ian mckellen all right like this is this is original art, and I think that's that's just a good, that's a good breadcrumb to follow. You're right, Spike. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thanks for indulging me in this discussion about wild wild speculation and art direction and the future of magic. You know, I think that there's a lot of pos- you know there's a lot of sort of flummoxing stuff in here, like where people are just kind of like, huh, they did that. But I think there's a lot of stuff in here that's really positive overall when it comes down to it, and I, it, nothing that really makes me existentially worried about magic or anything like that um so looking forward to a great year let's take a little break and then we're going to come back and talk a bit about actually playing some modern stay with us all right so for the next segment of the show as i mentioned we're going to keep a focus on kind of what everett's been up to lately Trophy hunts, top eights, 
shadows and and kind of all of it. But I wanted to start first with just talking a little bit about the Hunter Burton Memorial uh, Open and just see kind of like what it was like to be in an event again, um, how that just felt to you after after so long ever to just kind of actually go back to a tournament hall and, and see people. Well, uh, you know, kind of like the more things, things are different and things are the same where, you know, this is a tournament series, the Hunter Burton Memorial Open, which is uh, very near and dear to my heart because it's been very near and dear to the heart of my community. You know, I, I am a Dallas-Fort Worth paper grinder, or at least I was for a long time, and I know a ton of people in the area. And I hadn't seen any of them uh, in a long time. And these are people I used to see like every weekend, every other weekend uh, for local tournaments and stuff. And so it was very bittersweet being back, you know, where like things had been, things felt different, but you, you just getting to see a lot of people that I knew was really, really cool. And getting to actually sit down and play the game and my favorite way to play it, which is Paper Magic, was a really, really good experience. So the people who run it were ran it were absolutely great. I knew, I knew some of them. They were like super strict with mass, mask enforcement, and then the player base was also super good about it. I didn't see over the course of the weekend a single person uh, not taking it seriously, and everything went super smooth for you know what was like a 500 plus person tournament, and um, it was it was a great experience and. I feel really happy that I was able to top eight and get my name on the trophy. That's something I've always wanted to do at this specific tournament series. And it was a, it was yeah, a great man. experience. Yeah. Congrats on that. How, how did you, uh, how did you run in the Swiss? Was what did, what did you mm. need to do? Did you have to seven and two or was it more, more rounds? Well, it, was, than that? it was a two, it was a two day event. It was, I think eight rounds on day one and then five rounds on day two. So I think I finished the Swiss at 11 and two. It was X and two. Yeah, so it was it was it was like a, I think it was thirteen rounds. It might have been it, it might have been fourteen and it might have been twelve. But I'm pretty sure I was like a GP. Yeah, it was it was a, it was a little less than a GP. I think I was I think I was eleven and two at the end of the Swiss. I I, I almost was able to draw into the, I I would have been able to draw into the top eight, um, but my opponent their breakers were worse than someone who was X two one at the time, and their break they had they had much worse breakers than everybody else that was X and two, so. They knew that if the person that was X21 won their round and they drew with me to also become X21, they would likely not make top eight. So they decided to play. I actually had that that match uh, on camera too. It was against a uh, Tron opponent. But yeah, it was, it was a really long tournament. So it was like, it was definitely not easy to top eight uh, the event. I mean, that's a lot of ra- yeah, yeah, 13 rounds. For sure. And then yeah. my, my, my endurance for like a, a paper tournament had also had really. Uh, weighing down and my like all my habits for paper magic had really gone away to almost completely or although maybe they came back a little bit over the course of the weekend but it's just being I, like cognizant yeah. of triggers and things that yeah. Moto does for you like i, that I kind keep of stuff. clicking this mouse and nothing's yeah. happening but I mean, it, not only that definitely that but i used to like i, I used to be a, a shark when i played paper magic i i was able to like more, wait more than magic online because yeah, you're pretty, you're pretty yeah, sharky yeah. Like, okay. like, I feel like I was always able to, like, look into my opponent's eyes or just watch them, and I just would, like, know what they were thinking. Or at least I like to think that. I was, like, always, like, so aware of, like, every little, like, 
movement that my opponent made and i feel like i was i was able to get reads that were like really really insightful and but also sometimes i read way too much into like just nothing and and i played myself because of it but like i all, that was almost completely gone like i was just not in part of that was maybe the masks but i was just not able to get reads that i used to be able to get it is it is so hard to stay engaged in a game like that in that fashion mm-hmm. like to be to maintain full awareness, like in the in the paper environment, like the, the the amount of things you can be doing, paying attention to your own physical board state, looking at things, looking at your opponent, like trying to see, like trying to make sure they're not cheating, trying to see if you can get a read on them, like that over four rounds, at like a week weeknight event is tough. Let alone like you know two days of high level magic. It's just so exhausting. Yeah. I, I used to be in really good shape to do that mentally. I used to just do it every single weekend and all those habits really went away. I hope that they come back one day, but they're I probably not coming chan- back anytime soon. I know? hope we get a chance to have them come back. Yeah. yeah we'll see. <laughs> kind of out of our hands at the moment, unfortunately. One thing I did want to ask you as far as just kind of your impression of what you saw and the games that you played was, you know, Mickey asked, so I took some listener questions mm-hmm. for this segment and the next one. And Mickey asked, asked us, you know, he'd love to hear about paper versus online meta when, you know, at this event. Do you think there's was a difference? Do you think that things have converged because so many people who are even engaged in modern are mostly engaged on Magic Online now? Or what, what do you think you saw from this one event? Well, it's, it's important to note that the Magic Online meta, even before COVID, was always a way better, it was a much more tuned environment than the the paper meta, where the paper mag- meta, like, people would often more so play decks that they have because of the prohibitive cost of modern. And on Magic Online, there's a lot of rental services. People can play whatever they want. And so decks become a lot more defined and tuned and refined. And so the, def- the paper meta is still like it was before in that it's harder to predict because people are not just playing the decks that they think are the best, which is largely the case on case on magic online. Um, I do think that that is probably a little more pronounced now than it was before COVID. Although it's probably not as much as you think just going around the room, like people, people were there and they were ready. They were, they, like a lot of people had been focused. They've been learning for magic online, watching streams and stuff, and they were ready to, uh, to go. Yeah. Like we, I talked a lot about the HBMO meta with, uh, the, the gentleman from Mistress Babel last week. And one of the things that Fran noted was you know, decks like elementals decks, like we'll talk about in a second, your, your dress down Grixis death shadow variant. Like these are, these are decks that are fairly new or in the case of your, your dress down variant, very new. Yeah. yeah like, like I had been playing it for maybe a week or two on stream and I played a mirror match like halfway through day two. Yeah. 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 I think we counted what, eight, eight people on that yeah. deck or five I think, people I think on that so, deck. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like these are decks that are either expensive, that you know, or are a lot of new cards like elementals or things that you have to, be, like you said, paying attention to the online meta. And yeah, there were definitely some sharks out there for sure, other sharks. Yeah. So you feel like though you still saw that kind of like paper people bring the cards that they have and they just want to participate. Not everybody's tuning it on the paper side a little. Yeah, I played against a couple lists that were like kind of untuned. I played against like a. 
Esper control deck that felt like week one image two. I played against Mono Blue Mill with Suspend in their deck as their removal spells. Right. But uh, but I think besides those two decks, every other deck would be something I would expect to play against on Magic Online. Interesting. All right. Well, speaking of the deck deck selection and everything, you know, as we just said, you had a really interesting choice. I know it's been a few weeks, and so that deck has kind of made the rounds a little bit. But this, the Grixis Death Shadow with Dress Down deck, or maybe it's a Grixis Luris pile with Dress Down and Death Shadow. Like, I don't know quite how you think about the deck, and that, that's part of what I would love to hear. But it, it was a really. Yeah, this is clearly a Kroxa deck. Yeah, exactly. But it was a wild, wild thing to see this convergence of a lot of different ideas coming in. And so for people who don't, know about the deck that that ever played i'm going to do like a quick anatomy of the deck and then i'd love to talk about kind of like where it went so the basic thing from from my read of the deck list was that we we really started with the red black mid-range package that you had kind of worked out early on in in modern horizons 2 you got your ragavan you got your uh drc you got bobble you got a couple of croxa you've got Discard spells like Inquisition Kozilek, Thoughts, uh, Thought Seize, you got your Bolt and Unholy Heat. And that was kind of like the core of that red-black deck. Now, there had been a lot of stuff that had shot off of that core over the last couple of months as well. You know, there's been the Grixis Luris piles, there's been even some Jundi-type decks that have built up around this same kind of core. But the Grixis deck, what it brings to kind of like to bear from my estimation is expressive iteration and drown on the lock is kind of like the two things that were the most the, the most n- common things that ended up in the grixis version of this deck and so i wanted to ask just about that when you're thinking about playing the grixis version of this type of deck instead of one of the other ones is it because expressive iteration i mean is expressive iteration just like the best draw spell in modern right now because it feels like it's replaced everything everywhere else as far as that kind of like i'm going to play a card that just draws me cards Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Expressive iteration is definitely the best draw spell in modern, and that's honestly not saying a lot because draw spells in modern have historically never been very good. But iteration is, is cracked. Uh, but I, you've done a great job breaking this down. I'm like super impressed. Where you're absolutely right. This is the red black midrange deck, and I think that you are supposed to think of this deck, the more controlling Grixis decks that play Snapcaster, the red black deck the John deck, the Mardu variants, as the same deck, but you're choosing different tools to attack different metagames. So with this deck specifically, like the card dress down, I think was fantastic for a few weeks. I think it's still very good. I still like this deck a lot, although I've started to pivot back a bit to red black and we can get into that later. But uh, the cards Sanctifier and Vec, and the Sanctifier and Vec and then Elementals were both really really popular and they were popular because they were good against the red black uh sure yeah the main red black mid-range deck kind of yeah and, and dress down is very very good against both of those decks where all of a sudden you can lightning bolt to sanctifier and vec you get to counter the omnath and risen reef triggers you get to stop solitude from gaining uh making you gain life and killing your death shadows the, the card the card is like a really good answer against all the things that are good against your archetype that's awesome so my question would be a little bit then did you come up with the idea? Like, where did that inspiration for saying, like, okay, Dress Down is a card that I think everybody looked at on the spoilers mm-hmm. and went, like, well, it's a permanent. It draws a card. Like, it's definitely, like, notable because you're like, oh, it, it draws a card. That that 
signifies something. And then it has all this text on it that you're like, how often is that going to come up? Like, had you had your eye on that card for a while thinking it was going to be playable? Or were you kind of just looking for tools against those those matchups with your red black shell and you ended up on that? Well, I, I had it on my radar from legacy players mostly where legacy players were talking about the card on Twitter for weeks and how it was just like a great answer to Urza Saga, how it did so many things. I saw these crazy screenshots of like of, of Dress Done with, with Uro. So it was definitely on my radar, and I was trying to find a good shell for it. And I was already playing a Red Black or a Grixis Shadowless on stream one day, thinking mm-hmm. that Death Shadow would be really good because it doesn't die to Bolt or heat, or heat that often. And it was really good against removal spells. And I had a suggestion in chat, like, hey, can we play Dress Down in this deck uh, from a username DaVinci? And it, it it just fits so well. And I spent mm-hmm. a few different streams tuning the list, and it all came together really well, where Dress Down not only is good against the cards that are good against your deck, but Dress Down makes your Death Shadow 13-13, and you can kill right. on turn three sometimes. And it's kind of weirdly yeah. like Team or Battle Rage. Yeah, it's, almost, way, right? it's way better than Team or Battle Rage. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You, get, you get the bonus of it being like a really yeah, course, good course, yeah. sideboard card in your deck that does proactive things. Like it, of course. Like you said, it kills Saga tokens, it it kills lets you kill sanctifier in fact mm-hmm. like it does all kinds of things and then also occasionally it lets you play a team or battle rage on somebody i thought that was pretty yep. pretty interesting for sure and that just lends itself to one of the cons one of the, one of the core concepts of horizons two cards that i think we talked about last week which is flexibility like some of the cards just do a lot of different things whether it's casting cost flexibility or utility flexibility there's just a, a lot of ways modern horizons two shores up your deck building by giving you lots of options while also being powerful. And I think Dress Down is just another secret example of that. Like we kind of overlooked that. Well, speaking of, of choices, so Maria from from in our Discord asked a question of you, which is what's your favorite interaction with Dress Down? Mm. Just what's the one that feels the sweetest when you when you get to pull it off? Well, bolt, or the sneakiest. You know, bolt, getting to bolt a, a Sanctifier in Vex pretty good, and you get to like respond to Walking Blister, Spike Feeder, and they just enter or die. I've, I've also played a, a Dress Down Control deck with Thing in the Ice, where you go like end of turn Dress Down, untap with it, cast Thing in the Ice, and then you pass, your Dress Down gets sacked, and you cast one spell to flip it. Um, I, feel like I, I feel like I'm forgetting like one very cool interaction. Oh, uh... I mean, this isn't that this isn't that sick, but against Titan, if you have Laris in play, like you, you always against Titan, you always want to try to set up this loop where you have dress down in your yard, and your end of turn, you cast dress down, and it stays in play on your opponent's entire turn, right. and then they're 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 dryads, they're primeval titans, they just don't do anything. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, that's that's probably my favorite interaction is just looping it every single turn and just demoralizing my opponent. Do- doesn't it feel like this card? Was because I was looking at this card and I was like, okay, it's blue, right? Like, why is this not a spell? And then you look at it some more and you go, is this made to work with Luris? Like, every time I look at this, I'm like, did they design this card so that you could recur it with Luris? Because it feels like there's literally no other reason for it to be a permanent mm-hmm. other than that interaction. Well, it's just a bit weird, I think, if you if you have it be an instant and say until end of turn or or until your ne- the next turn creatures uh, don't have abilities. It's like if, if it's not in play, if it's not in play, things get like a little weird. Probably not that weird, but uh, that would that would be my uh, my assumption because that that they don't usually love to have like big sweeping effects that affect the board in this way uh, without it being a permanent like an enchantment. 
Yeah. But um, Everett, you mentioned that you think you think this card is probably still pretty good, or that you know, you indicated that it might not be as good as it was even a couple weeks ago. What has something changed about people's awareness of the card or playing around the card, or do you think that like it was never as amazing as as people made it out to be, it was just like, it did some cool stuff. Like what are your overall thoughts on it right now? Oh, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a metagame shift where, uh, Tron has been, Tron and like blue white control have become two of the biggest decks in the format. I, I, where they weren't very popular, uh, like when I was playing a lot of this deck and not only, and not only is like dressed down ineffective against those decks, the matchup as a whole is, is not that good against either deck. Uh, definitely fine matchups, definitely totally winnable. But if, if you are entering a metagame that's defined by Tron and Blue-White Control, you don't want to be playing, you know, if you think that the Red-Black deck is all like a bunch of different variants of the same strategy, you want to find the best strategy for the format. And it's also true that Elementals is heavily on the decline because of the uptick in Tron. And uh, Dressdown like, was, is largely like to com- combat the Elementals crushing the fair decks, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love... So one thing you talked about there I'd just love to unpack for a second is... How are Tron and Elementals related to each other? Oh, they're they're kind of inversely related. Where right. uh, it's like Blue Red Murktide is a super good fair deck that Elementals crushes. It absolutely destroys the Murktide deck. And when Elementals is so popular, Tron, Tron, Tron like almost can't lose to Elementals. The matchup is so incredibly lopsided. It's really really heavily favored for Tron. And so there's kind of like this inverse, re- but but Murktide is very good against Tron. And obviously there's dozens and dozens of other decks in the in the format right. and in the environment. But this is kind of like almost a rock paper scissors. It feels like, a, but at least recently, what's been popular in the metagame, where one of these three or two of these three decks are popular at any moment, and one is feeding on the other, and the other pops back up. Interesting. Why why is Tron so favored against elementals though? Is it just the planeswalkers are really good or their clock is really slow, so they can't pressure Tron. Got it. They don't have a lot of interaction for the lands. And then Tron has all of these huge sweepers, which stops uh Elementals cascading it's got uh, Ugin card advantage. And... Yeah. yeah. Ugin, Ostone, Karn yep. is really good against them. They can get Torpor Orb out of their board, which is the best card against them. So they have game one Torpor Orb. Yeah, I guess it's, Elementals yeah. is really big with the like creature removal, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. With Solitude and things like that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And they don't line up well against Tron at all. Yeah, they don't have any Planeswalker mm-hmm. interaction or anything like that. So that that makes sense yeah. too. Awesome. And, yeah. That's, so yeah, those those are my general thoughts. And so I, I've been I've been liking Red Black mid range. You get just straight Red mm-hmm. Black. Where Voidwalker's good against Tron. Kologon's command is uh, a great out to the Child of the Voids that are preying on the other. Uh, Dragon Raids Channeler, uh, Ragavan decks, and do you feel like the kind of incidental counter spells that you got from this Grixis deck too through Drown in the Lock? You know, because I, I imagine that's mm. kind of like where Drown in the Lock came from. Of because course, yeah. th- that's like one thing I wanted to ask you about too. Is this is a rarity? The Grixis list is a little bit of a rarity in the sense that it's playing Drown in the Lock in a full playset, but it doesn't really have a way to feed your opponent's graveyard. You know, like there's not there's not a guarantee, right? Yeah, so for Drown of the Luck to be good, you either need to have a format that is kind of turning it on naturally, uh, which I do think that you had for a while, especially with like the Cascade decks, Ragavan decks, Hammer Time decks, all of these, like Drown is basically always online without you doing anything. And if that's not the case, you need to be playing Thought Scour to enable it in a control deck, or you can be playing Discard Spells, which also ah. turn on your opponent's Drown of the Luck. 
Yeah, which so you're playing in this yeah. deck. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. So you need one of those three elements to be to be good in order for Drown to be a good card in your deck. Does, does Drown just keep getting better in this metagame too because the curve of everything is so low? Now, it, like it's it, your, it was, but yeah, then blue white and control Tron. and Tron. Yeah. yeah so that, got it. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw the red black list that you that you posted. What what is there anything else that's new about the red black list uh, as far as tech wise goes? Yeah, the the only one is Den of the Bugbear, but it's like really good tech. I, I've like I've liked it of the Bugbear for a while. I just haven't tested it, and it was but it was way better than I expected. It's like Raging wow. Ravine that enters untapped. It's 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 been very very strong. I was losing a lot of matches to red black because I would just end up flooding out. But this card has been just crushing and stopping that from happening. Wow, if only someone had said that on our spoiler episode that that card might be playable, Shane. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it real quick in case people have forgotten yeah, what yeah. this card does. My spoiler take? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Den of the Bugbear. Shane hated it. Uh, if you control two or more other lands, Den of the Bugbear enters the battlefield tapped. So it has to be one of your first couple of lands to be able to, to come into play untapped. Tap for a red, and then has three generic red until end of turn. Den of the Bugbear becomes a 3-2 red goblin creature with whenever this creature attacks, create a 1-1 red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. It is still a land. So it is like a weird goblin rabble master kind of of thing. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that I noticed in your build spike, and I wanted to bring this up, is you you had a pretty big commitment. You were were running three, so you had a pretty good odds of of getting them early, and then red-black is the kind of deck that I think can can cycle through and like pitch away stuff it doesn't need as much or like it can surveil it into the graveyard right so like are you are you concerned about drawing one of those late or do you typically just have so many lands that like sure i'm fine having a come into play tap land if i need to type thing well you know this deck has a very low curve and so you really really For want sure. those first couple lands that are untapped because you you really want to go like one drop into one drop one drop uh, in this deck and then after that, it is it is like often fine for you to have your third land intertapped because usually it's very common that your turn three will be just one, one or two mana spell because you're spending your first like two turns like using your cards, trading really quickly. And so in the late game, if you're top decking a Den of the Bugbear, you're way happier than top decking a Fetch Land or a Mountain or something because this is a, a useful utility land. And, and Black Red is a deck that maybe better than any other deck is just good at trading resources with your opponent. And once you just can do that over and over again, you just have Din of the Bugbear to clean things up. And also with the uptick in Tron and Blue White, Din is like very good against both those decks. Yeah, I was going to ask, one of the things that I've been paying pretty close attention to, or trying to at least, is like this dance between... I guess we're just kind of fast-forwarding to some meta discussion anyway, because that's sort of what's naturally Yeah, I happening. think we're fine. We, we had a good discussion about Dress Down. It was awesome to, to see where, where that came mm-hmm. from, and that that's an option I think we should all keep looking at going forward, depending on where the meta yeah, goes. Card. But it's not always going to going to be good i think is the message we should hear from everett here is like hey it's going to be great at certain points in the meta you have this package where you can bring in dress down and um, the lock Grix and death and death shadow and do this kind of weird thing where sometimes it's an aggressive card sometimes it's a defensive card um but maybe we're a little bit past where it's the right fit for the for mm-hmm. this moment right now there might be other things that are better at this right now like regular red black yeah before we go to broader meta discussion, I just want to close out on this kind of 
group of archetypes. So Everett, is is this kind of is this your favorite place to be in modern right now? One of these kind of yeah. offshoots, or do you have other stuff that you're more interested in at the yeah. moment? Well, that's really what my question. Well, I'm just going to interject here. That's my question, more or less. Is like so, like let's go. I want to go back to like this core right of like Dragon's Race Channeler, Ragavan, maybe like things like Dothy Voidwalker, etc. Like what defines the the best version of that deck at any given time like i think maybe two weeks ago it would be like well i want to play mardu because i want access to prismatic ending and in a world where tron is picking up it seems wild to me that we would not want to play something like prismatic ending to get rid of those early tron combo pieces right where it's like i have to get this prismatic effect off the board i have to get this expedition map off the board excuse me chromatic effect so it's like what goes into your thinking and your and your general thoughts and feelings about these Luris DRC decks? Well, yes, they are, they are my favorite decks to play at the moment, but I've been trying a lot of other stuff too. So I, I kind of view the deck as being a core Mishra's Bubble, Ragavan, Dragon Rage's Channeler, usually seven discard spells, but that can be a bit flexible with your other flex spots. And then usually have Lightning Bolt and Unholy Heat, sometimes Fatal Push, but lots of one mana removal spells. And then... You have a lot of flex spots where yeah and you yeah, have luris like yeah, we shouldn't is a, forget that it's implied luris it, yeah. it's the important part uh croak yeah. says Croxa has been in basically every version i've played but i just want to note that like tsb yindrick has been playing kind of snapcaster over croxa in these decks so i definitely don't consider croxa to be 100 like core package i got blasted last night playing mm this Grixis Death Shadow deck against the... Yeah, it's it's a very tricky matchup, but you can also, like, leverage your leverage your dress downs against their Snapcasters, and it can be... Yeah. But the thing that blew my mind was it was one of the first decks where I really, really realized, oh, you can play Snapcaster Mage mm-hmm. and Luris and do some, some wild stuff if you're going to go into the late game there where you get mm-hmm. snap back and then do other stuff. Like, that that was kind of mind-blowing to me. Yeah, but I, I, I guess get back to the... Uh... To the meat of things. So once you you understand what the core of the deck is, first you have to identify like, is this core strategy something that I think is good and modern at the moment? And I don't think the answer to that question is going to be no, for a long time. But the I, I mean it, it was it was no until like the dress down deck because there were so many sanctifiers and elementals decks. Uh, but then you just need to understand like, do I want to combat the sanctifiers elementals with the dress down shadow deck iteration drown a lock or these cards that I want to be playing? Do I want to be playing um, the Prismatic Endings? Do I want to be playing um, Renin Six Tarmogoyf? And right now, like Voidwalker and Din of the Bugbear, I think are cards that you can only play in red-black. I don't think you can play them in the three-color variants. And Voidwalker mm-hmm. is great against Tron. It's great against Blue-White Control. It's great against um, uh, Living End. I actually like a lot of against Rhinos, too. Rhinos is a, is a deck that I feel like is definitely tier one. It's very, very popular. Can be a rough matchup for these decks, and Voidwalker can just cast Crashing mm-hmm. Footfalls. And but <laughs> it, there's a lot of weird tricks with the cards. And then also Din of the Bugbear, fantastic card, great against Tron because they can't kill with Ostone or Ugin. I can just uh, get in that like last couple points of damage, and it's fen- phenomenal against Blue White. They have very few answers to it. it. Does a ton of damage. It puts creatures in play, which they have to like. They have to deal with. It's a nightmare for them. And you re- you really can't play Din in the three color decks. I think the mana is just stretched too thin for it. And so, so right now I'm really liking red black. Yeah. It's just one of the decks that I, I, I think is, it looks so clean. It looks so good. Like the decks are so hyper efficient now, right? Like just the threats are so low to the ground in terms of mana costs and doing so much. But I think what you said about five minutes ago is just like, it's a, it's a resource trading 
deck. And I feel like that's the kind of deck that I lose, and I think so many people can lose so many edges on. And I think Fran mentioned this last week. It's just like we we kind of were wondering why did the decks, the the Mardu and the Grixis Luris decks, actually did really poorly at Hunter Burton Memorial Open. There were not a lot in the the top uh, areas of the tournament, and it's just one of those decks where you can you can screw up a lot, right? Like so, how how do you? One of the things that I because you're on, I might as well ask you like how are you thinking about playing? the matchup when you're playing with a deck like this like is it is it about being as patient as possible is it about just like getting as much value out of each card as possible like what are you trying to think about well i think this is a a really good conversation that i've been talking a little bit on stream recently i used to talk about it a lot more than i do now but every type of game player uh or you know magic player in general but any game that you play you're usually going to fall into one of two camps you're either going to be an intuitive player or a calculating player. And intuitive players uh, form habits based on experience in the format. They have been in situations in the past and they can cal- they can navigate them because of their uh, intuition and their experience uh, in the format. And then you have calculating players who instead kind of think with the other half of their brain and they're very like consciously always in the moment trying to figure out everything that's, that's going on and like mathematically deduce what's the best spot in every in every moment. And they're like really good examples of both players. I think that LSV is like the most iconic uh, intuitive player of all time. Maybe Frank Carson's the most iconic calculating player. Or the Seif, the Seif is probably the most, or maybe the most iconic, I don't know. The Seif is super, super calculating and he thinks really different from me. I'm always trying to get into his head and I have a really hard time with it. So, but so it's important to understand what you are so you can improve your own skills if you understand how you think. I'm a very intuitive player. And so when I'm making decisions in matchups, it's because I spent my entire life playing Magic. I've made the I've I've made the wrong decisions before. I've made the right decisions before. Similar situations come up. I understand what's important. I understand what's not important, and I it, it's all different every time. But I can lean on that experience and that more so the intuition rather than the calculating aspects in different matchups to leverage that to success. So is that a long way, is that a long answer, a long good answer of saying, like, I don't know what I think about. That's what I feel at the time. Well, I, 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 do, I do know what I think about. It's, it's, even, it's even a little more complicated than that, right? Where as an intuitive player, you're forming habits to make your decisions. And you need to, uh, and your habits are formed because you're rewarded for good decisions that you make, right? And so you start to understand what's important and not important. And so as your good habits are formed, you'll start to make better decisions. But... When you get into a new situation on a decision that you haven't made before, that's when your more calculating nature has to has to come in. And and this is a little bit off topic, but if you're a more intuitive player like me, you, that's you don't need to use a ton of brain power on a lot of decisions, and you get to save your brain power for the harder decisions that you haven't run into in the past. And that's always been, I think, a big strength of mine, and why I've, I've had a lot of mental fortitude, why I just can stream and talk to Chad and, and play these matches is because I don't need to use that much brain power to make decisions because I've made them so many times. But, uh, yeah. You also don't make mistakes with with that, like the, the technical mistakes either. Like you're practiced enough that you don't like press the wrong button very often or things like that. I definitely do all the time, but it's it's like you're going to build these good habits as time goes on. But I, I I do think that I understand what's important in different matchups and I've, I've learned it over time and 
and my, my answer to you, listener, or to you, Shane, asking how do I know what's important is I've had a lot of practice and that's really instilled good habits into me. And I'm saying to you, I can't give you a formula for success because that's not how my brain works. But what I'm trying to do is in part how I think about things. And if you really want to work and you really want to find success competitively in magic and you think that you're a intuitive player like me, this is an insight on my mindset and how you can improve yourself through hard work. Yeah, so the, the real question is, ever, how do I cast Thoughtseize? <laughs> <laughs> There's a Reed Duke article uh, for, yeah, for that. Oh, yeah, that's a good article. So I, I, yeah. It's a, yeah, classic. It's really good. Um, yeah. w- one thing I was going to I was gonna kind of hop on this same train of thought for a minute, totally unanticipated since we're just chatting now. Um, the... The thing, you know, I, one thing that always really impresses me about you when I'm talking with you is that you're always like, well, this is changing the metagame because of this. And they're often like pieces of the fabric <laughs> that I don't realize are connected. You know what I mean? And how do you think that that skill is that, does that develop in the same way as the intuitive yeah. uh, kind of decision that you're talking about? Or is it just kind of knowledge and understanding and exposure, like, that's more about just having the full lay of the land where not everybody has a full lay of the yeah, land. Yeah, I think that those kind of decisions and knowledge are pretty different from like the game decisions you make. Uh, I, I do think that they are also, at least in my, at least for me, they're very experience based because I'm so in the trenches and I'm always playing. I, I play against what people are playing. And I also have a, t- a big chat that's always telling me their thoughts on the format too. And that's also somewhat helpful in giving me a picture of how people are feeling about the format and what changes are being made. And I also feel like I understand who is advantaged and who is disadvantaged in most matchups. And so if one deck's becoming popular, that's a little bit of a, you know, string being pulled on other decks becoming less popular as a consequence. How do you start to notice when that's happening? Like, is it just your chat is helping you kind of like have a bigger data version of it because because you can only see so many matches right Yeah, it, it's part of it a lot of it is just the matches i play and i'm in the trenches and i right. have a huge sample size every day and the, i'll notice when i haven't seen a deck in a couple days i'll notice when a deck seems to become more popular and obviously you know my sample size is not big enough to get a clear picture but it is big enough to get a more clear picture than almost anybody else because of the quantity of matches i end up playing you know you must play more more modern than yeah, it's, you, it's you know, yeah, it's at least yeah, top course, one per, course, one two yeah. percent of people in the world, right? So yeah, that's this. Yeah, I mean, nobody can have a huge sample size in, mm. in yeah. Magic, yeah, well, that, that, right. It's just not physically possible by by yourself to do it. So it's interesting. I, I to also hear I also like, like I, you yeah. know I do a lot of writing for Channel Fireball now, and so I I usually have a modern stream up while I'm writing, and so I'm also like dissecting data when I'm when I'm watching that, seeing what they're playing against what they're playing, and it's just constant, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's just your, your yeah your recallability is always so amazing to me. Where you're just like, don't forget yeah. this thing that you're forgetting about that's over here, and it's like, oh yeah, like why would Tron and Murktide be yeah. related? Well, I mean they're both you know it's it's an interesting. It's always always an interesting discussion. This this makes me look at one of the questions that we got asked from uh, Nine Slinger, actually one of our one of our newest citizens of the nation, um, was. You could, because you're because you're playing so much, because you're trophy grinding and things like that. Like, how how are you keeping up? Like, how how are you keeping up besides just playing? Because, like Dave said, like even if you p- play three leagues a day, 
that's 15 matches, right? And that's, I mean, that's a lot of games, right? That's a lot of, yeah, that's yeah, a, lot a lot of magic. But it's, 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 it's still a G, like, it's a GP every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like, right. it's still, but still like, you know, the sample size required to like actually know what's going on in the meta is, would be days and days and days, right? Like to like actually know, yeah. to like actually have counts. So like, what, like, are you, how are you thinking about this? And like, how, like, what are your tips? Like you think you could have for our uh, listeners who can't play a GP a day? Well, I don't, I, it's, it's hard for me to have tips, right? Because this is what I do, you know? This is what works for me. So it's hard right. for me to necessarily say, like, you know, I, I'm not someone that is, you know, naturally just a genius. I'm someone that has to spend this much time. And I don't, I, I don't really take breaks, and I spend most of my days, most of the day, uh, working on this stuff. It's so, your job. Yeah, it's your job, yeah for sure, for sure. And so that, yeah. that's how I do it. And my, I guess my advice to you is if, you know, you are wanting to understand more is besides just working hard at it as much as you can, because that's the, that's the most important thing is you can ask people that are smarter than you or have more time what they're thinking about it. And obviously don't take anybody's word as gospel, but try to weigh what they're saying to you and form your own opinions on it. And that's definitely what I did when I was newer into magic is I surrounded myself with players who were better than I was, and that really helped me, you know? If you feel like you're the best player in your play group or the best player that you know, you should look to find somebody that's better than you to improve, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like it's like can using we, the work that someone else has done, right? Yeah, like course, they can yeah. they can they can hang out yeah. in your stream, they can yeah, ask yeah, you some I, questions. I, I can, answer as many questions as I possibly can, and you can come and ask me questions if you have specific questions. The more specific question, the better, because like we've been getting a lot to hear, these, a lot of these topics are really, really complicated, you know, and yeah. and so it's it's the more specific question, I, I think the the better you'll be starting to learn about things as well. Can we talk? Do like a quick rundown of what kind of like maybe you think is the meta mm-hmm. right now? Like, I mean, not yeah, not yeah, scientific yeah, 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 yeah. meta. Like, I'm not expecting like percentages or anything, but like, wh- where do you think it's all mm-hmm. at right now? Because there's a couple of decks that we haven't talked about at all that I'm curious to see if we just like list out the stuff that you think is kind of like the top and the next, and then we don't have to do more than that. But kind of what's on your mind when you think about the decks you're going to see when you fire off a? Yeah, so right I now? think the decks that you need to be the most conscious of are still Rhinos, Hammer Time, Blue-White Control, Tron, and then like various Luris mid-range decks, I think. Or And then you can also kind of glump Murktide into that deck. Murktide is definitely coming back as well. I don't think mm-hmm. Elementals is, is very much on the decline at the moment. Could definitely make a comeback, but right now at the time of recording is, is on the decline. I think that Living End is also a deck that you don't want to completely ignore, but has been on the decline yeah. somewhat lately. I would say that that one is probably the next biggest deck to be on the lookout for. Is is that because I mean I hate to interject, yeah, actually, yeah. I love it. Um, but uh, would you like? What do you think the reason is? That, is that because like of, of less focus on pure creature strategies? So Living End is not just upturning the board and, and taking over. Well, it's a combination of Chalice of the Void being super popular in modern, partially because of blue white control, possibly because of. Eldrazi Tron, partially because of like a lot of decks just have a chalice on the sideboard. Uh, but a living end is more vulnerable to the cascade hate than Rhinos is because Rhinos gets to play Brazen Borrow or they, well, Living End gets to play Borrow, but, they, but Rhinos gets to play Borrower and Prismatic Ending. I'm oh, sorry, not Prismatic mm-hmm. Ending, uh, the command, Prismari Command. 
to just have more and more answers to hate pieces than Living End gets to play. Um, and so I think Living End is is still a very, very strong deck, but I think it's just kind of a symptom of, of other decks emerging to prominence. It also doesn't have a great Tron matchup. I'll, I'll say that, where Tron like often main decks Relic and then has a bunch of sweepers too, um, which can just be a bit awkward against them. It, it's also true, and, they, and Karn can also get Chalice on zero, which is... You know, something you have to worry about game one. Yeah, not good. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I also do think that reanimator decks are starting to become like somewhat of a player in the metagame. I, I don't think I'd put them even like the next deck on this topic, but they're, they are, I, in my opinion, on the rise. And I think that we might, in the next couple of weeks, start to see the list become more and more refined. I've been working on a lot I'm of so reanimator hopeful. decks. Yeah. Yeah, I love when you play them because I'm just I just keep I just keep trying to iterate and watch other yeah. people iterate on it, it. It's it's like it's been a really really fun challenge building these decks. I know Doomwake's been working really hard on them too, and I I think that we are very close to having like some like defined metagame reanimator list. I think that they might come out soon. What what is it about? I mean, you you said a lot there, right? Mm-hmm. And but one of the things that I think is most surprising, perhaps, is the emergence of Azorius Control. What what do you think besides Wafo Tapa, one of the best control player, if not the best control mm-hmm. player of all time, perhaps, playing it every weekend? What is making Blue White Control a player again in modern? Well, it's a combination of a lot of different things. Uh, one, the greatest control player of all time, Gabriel Nassif, has also started to popularize the archetype. But it, it's also it's also definitely true that like. A lot of times, some control lists will be very heavily metagamed, and that's why they find success. That's like a lot of uh, why control decks do well. But a lot of times, like the player base as a whole won't understand why the why these decks are so heavily metagamed, or they won't be well positioned for more than a week or two, and players won't want to pick them up. Um, and sometimes a list like Wafu's list, which is really good, will really connect with a player base better than like a more metagamey list does, if that makes sense. And this one, like, you know, at, 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 there is definitely a degree of this list is popular and this list is a deck that people like. And this is a deck that people have really gravitated to. And there's kind of a snowballing effect with that where, you know, Wafu plays it, wins with it. The Sieve plays it, gets second, and there's just like this snowballing effect of more and more people trying to pick it up and really, really liking the deck. And that is somewhat of an indicator of power level, and Blue-White is definitely one of the most popular decks in Modern at the moment because of these effects. But it's also like, at a certain point, gets to a point that you're like defining the metagame, and then at that point, that's when you can start to exploit it a bit, you know? Are you sort of saying that like, you know, po- um, popularity is another way to define tiers, like not just strict power level. And, and like, you know, you could be mm-hmm. at 49%, but it's even if it's if it's everywhere, it's still tier one. Yeah, I, I, I guess I haven't talked about this here. I talk about this on stream all the time. When I'm thinking about the tiers in modern, I think of them as popularity, where in my opinion, tier one, which is really like the five decks I listed earlier, these are the most popular decks. And these are the decks that are defining the metagame because not necessarily because they're popular, but because they're, or sorry, not necessarily because they're powerful, but because they're popular and you are going to expect to run into them. And these are like, this is what defines the format, you know? And then in my opinion, tier two decks are decks that are well-positioned in a metagame defined by the tier one decks. You're not going to run into them as often, 
but they're probably as good choices as tier one decks because they uh, because of the matchups that they have. And then tier three decks are or maybe as common as tier two decks, or maybe uh, maybe less common, but their decks I think are poorly positioned in a metagame defined by the tier one decks or the decks I put in tier three is usually how I think about the metagame. Yeah, I think that's a good classification system yeah. because I think you know one of the conundrums, like one of the definition problems that we have besides interactive in modern is like what what defines tier, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that's a that's a as, as good as any a definition I've heard in a while. Yeah, everybody has their own way of thinking about it. Just find something that works for you is important. I mean, it's kind of objective, I think, which helps too. Like tier, you know, you you're presenting a criteria that you can actually be like, these are the most popular ones. Mm-hmm. Like that's tier one. It defines everything else. It's, you know, a lot of people like to argue about tier zero, tier one. Well, yeah, tier zero, tier zero does exist, uh, but it it doesn't exist right now, and it doesn't exist in a healthy format. If anything's tier zero, like like Cascade, Valky. Then you've got like a real problem. Yeah. Alarm bells. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about. So we haven't spent a lot of time talking about hammer time mm, with you. Right. Ever. Right on. Not a deck. I, th- I don't think you've played very much. Is it? I, I, I've actually played probably like a hundred matches of hammer time lifetime. Yeah. So that's not very much for you. Yeah. Right? It, it actually isn't. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. So, so what do you think is providing the like sticking power for that deck? Is it just, just the best kind of creature combo sort of creature combo-y like aggro deck that's out there and it's just got so many angles of attack or what, what do you think is really driving that outside of Luris? It's a combination of power level, the ability to grind through interaction, while also being a deck that has tons of decision points that and it really rewards you for mastering the deck. And that's something that players love. They love a deck that's going to be consistently good and it's going to be something that they can completely master and like, you know, always be able to leverage their skill to determine success, even if the deck isn't as well positioned, like a, a really, really skilled hammer time pilot is always going to be a formidable force. You know, I think that that is definitely something that gravitates players towards the deck. So one, w- one question that uh, our patron Mickey had, who's he's in your, um, mm-hmm. he's in your chat quite a bit. He's turtle oh, cool. power. Hi, is turtle. His, his name, but he, he, um, interesting question that he had about hammer time was why is a combo like hammer time considered fine for modern, but blazing shoal is not. And I was like, I don't think blazing shoal and Colossus hammer are really the same card, but then you start to stare at them for a little bit longer and you do start to wonder a little bit. Are they, uh, you know what? Colossus hammer, in my opinion is better than blazing shoal. What? (laughs) Okay. I firmly believe that if, Blazing Shoal was a legal modern card, that the Blazing Shoal Infect deck would be like a degree worse than Hammer Time. It'd be much more fragile. The creatures you have to play are a lot worse. Glistered Elf is a one mana one one, and it's much more vulnerable to like the hate that's already like running into Ragavan. I, I firmly believe that it would just not be that powerful of a deck. That being said, I do think you absolutely have to have a different philosophy when it comes to unbanning cards compared to leaving cards legal in a format where you have a unique position when choosing to unban a card where you're like, maybe this card isn't going to be too powerful for the format, but it's already not in the format. If we release it into the world, is it going to make the format better? I don't think Blazing Shoal would. I think that it would lead to some feel-bad moments, but I think it would be a relatively inconsistent and fragile deck, and it would not be better than Hammer Time. But I'm not like... I don't think that it would be a healthy thing for the format. I think other things very similar would be like Punishing Fire, 
Uma's always Jitte. I, I, I think a great another great example is Hypergenesis would be worse than Glimpse for Tomorrow combo, in my opinion. I mean, we get the unbanned yeah. talk too yeah, this I episode. Know. This is this is the best yeah. grab bag oh, episode ever. But, but I don't think any of these things <laughs> add fun to the format. I think Hypergenesis, Jitte, Punishing Fire, Blazing Shoal, probably not powerful enough, but all these cards are not good to play against. And I'm not making an argument that some of these cards in modern are good to play against, but that's not a good example. That's not a good argument for unbanning cards, you know? Here's a question from uh, citizen Shane B. Uh, and he's curious why, what happened to decks like general Ferris rock, Rick, what happened to decks like goblin bombardment, which was never even really a deck. Like what, what happened to like Zabaz and the scales decks and the domain zoo decks? Like why, what is separating the pretty good decks from the not so good decks right now, do you think? Well, at least as far as, I mean, every deck you have to analyze differently, right? Uh, as far as the Rockerick deck, which is a deck that I was crushing with for a while, a deck yeah, that I really, it. really liked, that was a great example of a tier two deck that has pivoted down to tier three because of the uptick in Tron, right? Where Tron didn't exist in modern for like a month. And this deck was phenomenal against decks like Hammer Time, against the Ragavan Darcy decks. Um, and it was crushing. Tron, it has like an almost unwinnable Tron matchup, right? And so it was like a tier two deck because of how it was positioned in the metagame defined by tier one decks. And then all of a sudden Tron is merges to tier one, knocks Rockerick down to tier three, right? And so it, and Rockerick is always going to be a deck like that, I think, that you can only really play it if the format's hospitable to it. If like removal spells don't kill Rockerick, you definitely want to play the card. Uh, and if they do kill Rockerick, you, you don't want to. And then um, I the, the thing with Zabaz combo, like the Hardened Scales deck, that deck is very powerful. But the problem is it has a ton of incidental artifact hate that people are playing because of Urza Saga and Hammer Time. If people are really gearing to beat the Urza Saga Hammer Time decks with all this artifact hate, it's not a great time to play your Hardened Scales deck because your Hardened Scales deck is not so broken that it can't beat a modern full of cyborgs of artifact hate. And yeah, shattering spree or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. as far as the random air deck goes, lists are really hard to build. There is some graveyard hate in the format, which obviously hurts the randomator archetype, but randomator is on the up and up, I think. And it, and these kind of decks are just always going to ebb and flow out of popularity. Uh, but they, but the, the longer I play modern, the more I see the decks come back around, you know, at some point. Yeah. Real, real quick on reanimator. <laughs> Shane's been playing that, as he said. Been playing it with Stoneforge Mystic. We've seen the Reanimator plus Primeval Titan decks. We've seen the ones that are just straight up kind of Reanimator by themselves with no Stoneforge. Your small package, box like, package, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do, do you have a gut on where it's going? Like, is it going to go broken like with Primetime, or is it going to go more like we're just really trying to get our kind of cruelty out in the most efficient way, and and that's kind of what the best version of the deck is? Like. Uh- what do you, what, which one have you been most I, I've been liking with, I recently guess. the Mardu list that I've been working on. Doomix also had like a different variant. Specifically, Seasoned Pyromancer feels like probably the yeah. best plan B. You you made me finally order four of those, yeah. man. Oh, I haven't I haven't bought them yet. I, was, I know that you gave me twenty bucks for one or two thirds of one. <laughs> always <Damn. laughs> always pay pay your favorite streamers. Of course, yeah. But yeah, I think that's probably where they're going to pivot. It, the, but it's also true that like the the Reanimator package of Persist, Upmark Grave Archon one copy of rights. That's a very strong package of cards to play, but there are not enough enablers for you to have like an entire deck dedicated around this. Like any other enablers you play priest of fell rights, thirst for knowledge, uh, gifts and given, 
like these cards are a little bit underpowered and you can put them in your decks and you will have functioning decks, but they're not going to be like the faithless looting in Tomb reanimate that the deck would ever need to be broken. The cards just don't exist. So I think that you can play cards like this as your reanimator decks. You can play the reanimation as more of a package of cards in a different archetype, but I, I don't, I don't foresee all in reanimator decks being a thing in modern anytime soon. Do you think there's something about the tier one decks that makes them nearly untouchable? Like, is there something about just the, the raw efficiency and power of like, is it Murktide or of Mardu shadow or like, you know, of like of, uh, of Rakdos DRC or of rhinos or of, you know, anything like that, that just sort of makes them, these are going to be tier one for a while. Mm, I, I think that they, no, I, I don't think so. I think all of the decks you've listed over the very brief history of post image two modern, all of them have had weekends where they've been poorly positioned decks. And they, a lot of them keep keep rising to the top, and the metagame is ebbing and flowing, and they're always going to be in contention, or at least somewhat played. But none of these decks seem like they are going to be untouchable, always tier one, and I think that is a great sign of a healthy format. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I guess just to start to close this out, so you feel pretty good at this point with the impact that... Modern Horizons 2 has had, it sounds like. Is that, is that yeah, a fair yeah, I mean, characterization? Yes, I'm, I'm yeah. super biased, right? Because I just am having so much... This is like the exact kind of set I love where things change a lot and I get to build a lot of decks. And it's right been on. it's been just like the best time of my life as a Magic player. But yes, I, I think so. I think it's been really good. I think it's been really, really good. I mean, I've been enjoying it a lot too, personally. Shane, you too, right? Yeah, I mean, I like it. I love it. I love it a lot. Like, I, I mean, just the fact that I mean, I'm going to stick with uh, the reanimator conversation for a minute. Like I think about reanimator just when I'm driving to work, it's like, what am I doing? Like this, this like tier 2.5 strategy. I'm just like, what if I played this instead of this? Or like, does this deck need two of this instead of one? It's just like, Shane, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're not going to play enough to actually, but it's just like, this is the fun that you can have when you're just like daydreaming about, iteration and daydreaming about lines and daydreaming about relative power level of things and then when you actually play the games it's fun too so it's just like this is this is what makes magic i mean this is something that jerry t says a lot is there's always a new puzzle to solve and and that's what that's one of the things that makes magic so dope all right before we go i guess the only thing i just wanted to check in with you on uh ever was just the trophy race how, how's it going? Yeah, I mean, well, if 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 you're not if you're not aware if you're not aware, Spike Spike is trying to become the trophy leader this season, and it's in a basically one-on-one race with the uh, very very good Brazilian player uh, E Principe or Y Principe, mm-hmm. and, and uh, their Twitch channel is X Y Principe too. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're it, killing it, it. Yeah, at the time of recording, me and Prince both have 34 trophies. Canister is in third place with 24 trophies. So we've really broken away from the rest of the pack. I have a bet that I'm going to gift uh, 400 subs to chat if I lose, which is a pretty big uh, financial investment. And it's it. I I mean, I, I was kind of chatting with uh, with Dave and Shane earlier, but you know there haven't been a lot of Magic tournaments to compete in lately. So I, I, the very competitive side of me has been thriving and loving the trophy race it's been really really good to have like stakes on every single league match it's been it's been a rush it's been 
really hard, but it's been like the good kind of difficult, like where I feel very challenged for the first time in a while, you know? Uh, it ends September 15th, 14th. So we have like a little more than two oh, weeks that's, left. That's so many leagues left. Yeah. And the, and, and to be, to have like, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know with the, with the, I mean, it's been like a little over two months. Like this league started at the release of modern horizons two, I think. Right. Or it might've started after, uh, the, the forgotten realms, maybe. No, it was after that. I don't know what it was. Yeah. I think it was, it had, it had to be image too. And like, this has just been like, the culmination of all of like the hard work from from like the most busy time in my life as a streamer it's been like the most like exciting time and i don't know and to to be only only two weeks left in the season completely tied uh prince has been streaming a lot lately and it's been really cool to actually interact with the guy he seems really really nice uh, we've had a lot of good interactions lately does he play a lot of tron yeah he's, he's been playing a lot of tron lately he actually like put, played some of the red black deck i was playing last like last night on stream today he was playing a lot of, like he, he i think he brewed the jund collected company deck that was popular for a little while he got a lot of trophies with that but he seems really really nice he doesn't speak any English, but every time I raid him, he gives me a, a heart with his hands and says "Spike," which is really cool. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. It's just, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it's been fun. Like, I mean, it's it's hard. Like, I know it's been like a it's like a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? And so it's like I'm glad that it's been something that you've been energized by instead of something that you're like, "Whoa, why did I commit <laughs> to this?" And now I have to, you know what I mean? Like, getting two months into something, you can see how it could go that way. But that's awesome. Great. Uh, well, we have a couple of questions left from. Yeah, we yeah we got some good listener questions for sure. Like I think, well, one of the ones that I think is most on topic. Uh, speaking of MH two, is uh, this is another Maria question, I believe, and and she asks, what's your what's your favorite card out of MH two if you have one? Uh, Jade Avenger for sure. Yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that that's your icon on on Magic Online now. I had just gone the whole set, and I somehow didn't see it in spoiler season. I, it's just you know kind of a goofy comment, but I was drafting it, and I just I really do like the flavor of the the frog samurai. And then you know sometimes I get I'll get questions on stream that I'll like have just answered, like what card is perfect for a deck, and I'll have like just answered like a, or like the exact same question like thirty seconds ago, which is which is fine. I get people tune and they they ask, but I'll just usually tell them Jade Avenger. And I, I don't know, I get I get a kick out of it. And uh but I mean to to I guess more seriously answer the question, my favorite card from Modern Horizons 2. I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not a big favorite person. I tend to just like like right or dislike things. But I'd probably have to say Dragon Rage's channeler. That card is just like so fun yeah. to play with. I don't know. And and Maria actually, Dave, she did that. she was like, This is for all three of you. What's your what, what do you think your favorite card of Horizons two is so far? You know what? I think I'm gonna blow your mind. Yeah. The card that I think I like playing the best with out of, and I don't even have any decks that this card goes in directly, but I think it's Urza's Saga. Yeah. Is the card that I think has been the most fun for me to play with and the most just powerful every time. What's great about it is it's nowhere near as broken as people feared. It's just, it's just, it's just so good at what it does in certain points. Yeah. But if you ask me next week, I'd probably say Dragon Trade's Channeler, probably, because that just fits more decks that I play. But every time I pick up an Urza's Saga deck, I'm like, this card and then i get to go get springleaf drum and keep my you know keep my mana even or whatever i want to do like it's pretty cool what about you shane i was are you on are, is it persist no i mean such a fair card i mean i i do love the the retro the retro foil persist is like i'm i've gotten so into the retro foils i don't know how it happened 
I, I was kind of anti-retro frame. I was like, look, you all are just being like boomers. You're just being nostalgic. And then I'm just seeing those retro foils, and I'm like, oh man, Chef's Kiss on this stuff. This looks so good. Um, I mean, I was. Th- I don't think Chef's Kiss is no, available. No, it's on it's, retro avail- foils, it's expanded art. Um, I I like Prismatic Ending, but I do feel like Prismatic Ending is one of the cards that's so good that it's pushing things out of the format, and I don't like to see things get pushed out of the format that aggressively. Um, but I, I do think that you know maybe there's maybe there's a way that taxes and vile decks can become a thing again. But I, I do feel bad for like some of our our, our friends and, and listeners and players, you know, who are like, I can't play a deck anymore because like some of the hate is just so broad that it touches me too. Um, and I think prismatic ending sort of fits into that. I don't know. I think I think Horizons Two is great. Like if you ask me next week, it'll be a different card. But right now, yeah, I think the the reanimator stuff is like so good at not being broken but so good at like being almost there and you just want to make it there and you're like how do i keep thinking about this and iterating on it and i i like that about modern right now for sure so dave i'm looking at our list of questions and i think one of the ones that i think is kind of goes back even maybe to our intro section when we're talking about the 2022 roadmap is you will notice there was no core set on that 2022 roadmap uh and and craig Craig's Craig's hideous laughter actually because they are they are one of our uh, died of the wool mill mill, mill players. players. He, yeah, he's been he's always kept his mill deck almost fully foiled and up to date. In uh, he asks, why do you think Wizards keeps going back and forth on the idea of a yearly corset in standard? But I think more more importantly, are you pro corset or anti corset? If you could be such a thing, mm, I don't really care about corsets in the sense that I don't care about any set. Right, I don't care what a set is i just want it to be good <laughs> you know it's like modern horizons 2 is the best core set of all time <laughs> you know it's it, right you know, it's just incredible incredible uh it doesn't have like any flavor defining the cards in it but each card has been like had so much love and care put into it and a lot of core sets in magic's history have not had that much care put into them they've been like uninteresting and unflavorful and unfun uh, to draft, to like really care that much about, and I know that for a long time, Wizards thought that they needed the core sets in order to balance out standard. If that's how they want to design the game, then I have no like business arguing with them because I don't know how to design a card game. But you know, it, it's it's all. It, I don't think that you need a core set, a core set to to save standard when standard's problem has been that you have one set that's so much more powerful than every other set. And, and, and like a core set is not going to really help that issue where you have, it's, it's like, you could just even trace it back. It's like Throne of Eldraine, then Kaladesh, then like Kaza Tarkir and Innistrad. It was just like, it's just like always been one set's way more, way more powerful than every other set in the format. And that's always been standards problem. And the cycle's like three years long. (laughs) So you have the end of one standard goes and then you get like six months of Mm -hmm. parody and then a new set shows up and it's like, oh, okay. Absolutely. That's it. So, yeah, so I, I don't think corsets solve or or don't solve that problem, but I don't care if they go with corsets. I don't care if they don't. I just want them to be good if they do them. I'm glad that they're I'm okay that they're walking away from them. They've been trying for a long time. As long as they print whatever weird generic hate cards they think they have to to they fit them in somewhere else. Like I don't I don't know why they can't, you know. And they don't need to do them every year either, right? Like right. you could just have them every other year or just whenever you think they're necessary. I think it's fine to not have them necessarily be a yearly thing. Yeah, you can spread out your duress, do you know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. That's really astute, though, when you're like, yeah, Horizon 2 is a corset. Just a really highly powered one for modern. Yeah. <laughs> and then another question I liked a lot was from Dragon Lord Jamoka. And um, they, and I think this is a great question for you, Everett, is because you've dedicated so much of your time and your profession now to playing modern. Like, what, what aspect of modern do you enjoy the most? Like, what, what has drawn you to this format so strongly? Uh, well, at least, like, format specifically, the gameplay is just so interesting and deep. It's, like, really, really, really intricate and complicated and rewards you for being very knowledgeable about it as well in a way that uh, maybe other formats don't as much, you know? Especially Legacy lately has been, like, I'm someone that's played Legacy for years and have, like, been deeply involved in it and played it at our Pro Tour and uh, love, love, love Legacy. And I almost find the format, like, unrecognizable now. And it's it's hard for me to, like, just pick up and get back into it, you know? And Modern is also unrecognizable now. But it's been, at least in a way that I feel like I'm more easily able to leverage my format experience and enjoy myself more in Modern. Um... I don't know. It's just been. It's just been. It's just been good for a long time. Like I was. I was back when Throne of Eldraine came out, and the Urza Saga, or sorry, the Urza Lord High Artificer Oko uh, Mystic Sanctuary decks were the only good deck in Modern. It was Modern was like just not tolerable for me at that point. It was like really, really unfun to play, and it was not a format where I felt like I could brew and like the the gameplay against those decks and with those decks was really bad. I thought. And, but Pioneer was really good then. Pioneer was really, really fun and interesting and open at the time. And I played Pioneer for months. And then, you know, Theros came out, but they also banned a lot of cards in Modern. And, and you know, things change. I, I, at times, I've been primarily a standard player. I've been primarily an EDH player, a limited player. And just, you know, Magic is a game that changes a lot. I think it's good that it changes a lot. Um, and I'm sure that at some point, I'll be more interested in a different format, you know? Oh, well, let's hope that that's not too soon. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. We love we love seeing your brews and talking with you about about modern. I mean, I mean, honestly, um, ever you 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 drive so much conversation on this format now, and I, I know you have to be aware of that. But I want to remind you, like, it's just you are you are a fixture of the format, and we're so glad to to have you on again and have you as a regular guest. And we truly appreciate you uh, you taking more time out of your schedule to to be here and. I know, I know we're going to wind up pretty soon, so I do want to give you, you know, tell people again, if they're listening to us for the first time, where can they find you on Twitch, on Twitter? How could they participate in your community? Yeah, yeah. M- most often on Twitch, twitch.tv slash aspiringspeg. That's, uh, I'm streaming there from 9 a.m. to about 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. I usually do one tournament on the weekends. You can also find me on Twitter at my non-gamer name, Mohan Everett, but my like nickname on there is aspiringspeg. And then, you know, I also have a YouTube channel where I upload VODs. You can watch it there if you're not able to catch live. Uh, and then you can also find a lot of written articles on channelfireball.com. Dude, those, and those, uh, Everett, I have to, those are those are really good. Okay, man, you, like writing yeah. articles is really hard. I, yeah, it's it was really hard to get back into, into writing. I used to write a lot when I was younger. Uh, and I, I have been putting a lot of work into them. I've, it's been a very, really, really rewarding, but also definitely the most difficult part of what I've been doing lately. What what are the uh, most recent couple of articles that you wrote so people a, a killer sideboarding one like like oh two weeks ago a week and a half ago yeah yeah I wrote it so I've been so I, I usually do uh, two deck guides a week on decks I've been working on most recently I did one for um, 
the Mardu Reanimator deck, and then I did one for um I'm trying to remember what last week was. I think it was probably You had a budget Jessica green stompy one too. Well that that one was actually I don't I don't think I wrote a deck guide, that was just the video for oh, that okay. one. Because I also I also did one YouTube video week for them. I did oh it was a budget uh wilderness reclamation deck. I've been starting to do uh you know budget budget brews for people to get into modern because I love modern, I really want people to get into it, and I really want multiple archetypes to be accessible to people. And then once a month I do like a deep dive. And so I did like a how to build cyborg deep dive. I did um how to build control decks. So I'm actually writing one this week about uh, building mana bases as well. And so that, that'll be up probably not this week, probably next week. or the week Always after. start with three Den of the Bugbears. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am going to talk about those. It's, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a lot, but uh, it's, it's been it's been a really, really good outlet. The Channel Fireball stuff. So I definitely recommend checking it out. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this week's show. Thanks again to you, Everett, for coming on pinch hitting for Stan while he's he's away taking care of his new child. Uh, if you haven't yet, please make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We haven't had any reviews in a week or two. So if you're willing, we definitely appreciate it. Um, if you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or reach out, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support our show, you can join our Patreon, as we mentioned. That's at patreon.com slash the dive down. Joining at any tier gets you access to the definitively discreet dive down discord. And we love talking. You will find Shane and I there. If you want to chat with us quite frequently, Finally, shout out to uh, Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. Sign up for Mana Traders using the promo code the Dive Down 2021. All one word for 15% off your first two weeks of renting Magic Online cards. Special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music for more than two plus years at this point. So thank you to you both. And until next week, get out there and... Dress down, take a fire and backs, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs>